This is the High Hopes Podcast. High Hopes. It's a bunch of baseball nerds, well, without the computers, talking about the Philadelphia Phillies on Radio.com and Sports Radio 94 WIP. Yo, it is another edition of the High Hopes Podcast. James Seltzer, Jack Fritz coming your way. You're back. I'm back. I'm a father now, Jack. Oh, God. How crazy is that? I mean, like, I'm happy you're a father. Uh, I'm not happy that you selfishly had it uh, right <laughs> right after the Gene Segura trade. You, you know, know, we had been talking to our listeners this whole time about how excited <laughs> we are for an emergency podcast, and you messed around and had a kid. Yeah. So, uh, I'm, first I'm, apologies to the listeners. I'm guessing can... the listeners are going to forgive me for this one. I, I got a feeling. We got great listeners. I'm guessing they're going to understand on this one. But, look, I'm here right now, Jack. I should be on my way to see my daughter, but instead I'm with my son. How about that? Yes, and who are you Jack more... Jack Fritz, my 24-year-old Who child. are you more proud of? <laughs> All right, let's dive in. It's winter meetings. Well, hold on. First off, I know. You, we have to get your thoughts on the Gene Segura trade. Oh, yeah, good point. I love it. And and I am... Uh, look, I'm not... And I love it even as someone who is not given up on J.P. Crawford's Major League career. I still think he could be a really nice Major League player, but in that spot to get... A guy like Segura on the contract he's on, especially a guy like Segura for a team that was so infuriating last year with the strikeouts, with the lack yeah. of ability to put the ball in play to get a guy like that who strikes out as little as anyone in Major League Baseball for the most part. Fourth hardest guy to strike out in baseball there last year. And there, there's been a lot of buzz about Michael Brantley. He is the second hardest guy to strike out in baseball last year. So I like that they're starting to prioritize guys who put the ball in play, hit for a high average and don't strike out. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a change, philosophically speaking. Yes. But very, very happy with the move. You get a couple pitchers thrown in. I know a lot of people are into James, my boy James Pazos. Is it Pazos? Pazos. Pazos. I was corrected in my DM. Pazos. Pazos. James Pazos. I mean, that dude is just awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, not only because of the, the mustache. I was only talking because of the mustache. Mustache. But he's a lefty and he can a throw lefty. a little bit, which is nice. But uh, yeah, I think considering what they gave up, uh, and again, I, I still like J.B. Crawford, but where his value was at after that season, I thought they did a, a really nice job in that trade. Yeah, and there's been some rumblings about how J.P. doesn't really work that hard, um, and they're worried that his work ethic wasn't where it needed to be for him to be a consistent major leaguer. Um, and ultimately, you hope that he turns into Gene Segura, and he yeah. probably won't ever get there uh, average-wise. But uh, OBP, you OBP can wise. see him being a high OBP, good defensive shorts. If he could have a nice career, you know, he's still young. Yeah, but and for them to get out from no under— No-brainer trade at this move. And they got out from under the Santana contract, yep. and they got back— actual value with the Santana contract, which I, w- I was expecting them to get a nice player. You were expecting them to almost give him away in some cases. Yeah, and get like a high upside project back, and for them to get back Gene Segura, I understand it's going to end up costing a little bit more in the long run, but he's a, a really, really good offensive player. Um, and then obviously James Pazos, which is, I mean... He did that for me, I think. <laughs> I think he did. I think he did. A wipeout slider. And then Juan Nicasio, bad ERA last year, but all the peripherals are like, this guy's pretty good. So Yeah, and a, a guy the Phillies had, had liked before, obviously, brought him before and all that. So, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the trade. Yeah, and then the other trade this week was obviously the Luis Garcia for Jose Alvarez Which trade. Which is a no-brainer. I couldn't believe time. it. I can't, how did anyone take Luis Garcia? And Jose Alvarez is all right. I mean, people, nice, people, fine lefty. Not people good, like but... the dream on the arm of Luis Garcia, Yeah, but he stinks. Like I, 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 I couldn't. I, it, honestly, he might have been number one on my guys who were on the team last year. I don't want to watch pitch again. Now, he we'll, might be number one, and there are lots of long lists. Yeah, no, there's a long list. I, I will say I like Alvarez a lot. Like Just in watching, I went back and watched him full. Innings of his, of course he did. He he locates his pitches. He's able to locate ninety one 
outside part of the play, down, in, good slider. Jose Listen, Alvarez the fact, highlights. The fact, who are you? It wasn't highlights. It was, full, it was full innings. Again, who are you? I don't care. Um, just the <laughs> fact that we, we've basically we basically replaced the Adam Morgans of the bullpen, the Luis Garcias of the bullpen, with James Pazos, Jose Alvarez, and Juan Nicasio. That's just the back of the bullpen. Now if they go after a, a Britain, a Miller, and although I did, I did hear Peter Gammons today. Peter Gammons was on MLB, MLB Network and said that uh, Andrew Miller says his needs are needs are one hundred percent. So uh, starting to get back in Look on Andrew you. Miller a little all bit, my guys. Now it's like no, I, I get my perfect off season plan. All of a sudden, it's like I want Madison no, Bumgarner, no, no, no. I want Britain, I no. want all these guys that that Seltzer said. Here's what I do: is I go way out on guys, <laughs> and then I come back in. Then you get pulled back in. All right, well, Fritz, we're almost five minutes in this Sorry. podcast, and we even talk winter meetings. The winter meetings are happening right now. I know. We're doing this podcast, and the winter meetings are happening. Yeah, and it sucks because they're three. I woke up this morning thinking like flurry of moves, all that fun stuff. Then I remember they're in Las Vegas. So they're three hours behind us, mm-hmm. and I was looking at the schedule last night, and every day the opening session's at like 8 or 9, and I was thinking, our time, nope, that's like noon, all right? That's mm-hmm. like that's like 11 a.m. Yeah. So it's like three hours of just blue balls before anything really yeah. gets started. It's going to take a little time, too. they got to do all their meeting stuff. I've actually been to the winter meetings before. Ah, oh, so jealous. It's awesome. It, it, I'm at, like, it's one of those things where you're at the hotel bar, which I was at it when it was in Orlando. It was at the, the Swan or whatever it was, the Disney World Resort there. And you're in the hotel bar, and no joke, I'm sitting there, and I've got Gary Sheffield talking to Jim Leland on my right. I got Francona, Bruce Bochy talking over. Like, it is, if you love baseball, it, it's really awesome to be there. And just thinking about that now, Jack, that's what's going on. And, and for the first time in a while, the Phillies are the centerpiece team of the winter meetings. They're the team yep. that everyone's talking about. John Heyman's making suitcases of money jokes out there. I mean, this is what it's about right now, Jack. So where do you where are you at right now? I mean, they start today. I, I don't think we'll hear about Harper till either day two, probably day three. I think they'll close out the meetings with that, but it could happen tomorrow. It's possible. But a Harper deal? Yeah. Oh, I don't think it's. Nothing. You don't think it's gonna happen in the meetings anymore? No, I don't think. I don't think either Machado or Harper signed the meetings. Wow! I think they all. And they all drag it out to January. I think Machado's waiting one way or the other. I think Machado said he's gonna visit teams. Yeah. that's gonna take some time. I don't know. I think it's still possible that Harper could sign here. Possible, but uh, I mean, Boris is always looking for the most amount of money. And now uh, Rosenthal comes out yesterday and writes this whole piece about the agent wars, and it's it's Lazara, whatever his Lozano. name, Lazano versus versus Boris, and Boris wants the most amount of money. And the longer they go into free agency, I don't know. I I, I there, there's been a lot of buzz. They're gonna wait till January. I would be surprised if anything happens during the winter meetings for either one of those guys, um, which kind of stinks because you want to see the the, the big you, stuff happen. You just wanted to but I mean, you know, last time they were in Las Vegas, a CC Sabathia to the Yankees deal happened at 3 a.m. So it feels like we're going to have one of those 3 a.m. Uh, freak out, mass freak out, or wake up to it. But I just, I think, I think Harper's going to wait. I think he's going to wait. They're going to wait out all these teams. They're going to wait for the Dodgers to maybe get back involved and really bring in Bryce Harper. Um, wait to see what the Yankees plan to do. I think Boris wants to get the bigger name guys in rather than right now. It looks like it's just the White Sox and the Phillies. And James, if they lose a player to the White Sox, well, they're not going to. I'm going. I am going I'm to. Not, I not, I hate that the White Sox are irrelevant. They are pointless. There's no point to having a Chicago White Sox team. They just had a one of the worst Hall of Fame Hall, Hall of Famer of all time well, get in yesterday. Uh, Hall of Fame's a joke. I'm done with. What are we fame. doing? I'm out on. What, why are you putting him in the Hall I of was, Fame? I was. I was. I had <laughs> it was, two feet and nine toes uh, on my way out on the Hall of Fame and putting Harold Baines in just. 
sealed the deal for me. No, but if they done, it, listen, the white done. the White Sox can. Harold Baines in the Hall of Fame and Barry Bonds isn't. Yeah, awesome. That's yeah. really that's good what stuff. you want. That's what the, that's what the people want. Great but stuff. if if they lose if they lose a free agent to the White Sox, they won't. And I don't think I'm not that, worried listen, about it. I don't think they will either. It's just that like. Build your freaking team organically, Chicago, and let us have our big money. I understand you have all this money in the world, Chicago, apparently, but you're the White Sox. No one cares about you. No one worries about you. Mm-hmm. Let the Phillies just be the big dogs for once. Can we just be the big dogs? I don't want to deal with the White Sox. They're going to be the big dogs. I hope so. Don't relax. It's happening. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of people have to get, get past the fact that they would have to be severely outbid. to to Not severely outbid. They'd have to basically choose to go elsewhere. Exactly, because they're here. not getting outbid. On who, whether they want Harper or Machado more, I still think it's Harper, but one way or the other, whichever of those guys they want the most, they're going to spend the most money on if that player wants to go there. And if it is Scott Boris, Liz- Dan Lozano, if those guys want the most money for their clients, the Phillies are the most money. Yeah, and I, I, there's been a, a kind of a buzz like from uh, Heyman wrote the other day that Harper's people aren't really sold on being in Philadelphia, which is, you know, whatever. Because Scott Boris took... A Rod to Arlington, Texas. Yeah, it's it's Philly's total. Philly crap. is not bad. It's like he'll be fine. I mean, it's better than DC, and he spent the last yeah. whatever yeah. eight years. He had, in a, DC, he had seven, to play in front of Nationals fans. Yeah, it's come on. <laughs> he had to play in front come of on. Nationals. Fans. Let's be real here. I agree. I I don't I all the smoke that I've seen. I haven't bought any of it. Scott Boris is the master. He's the best who ever did it, and he is as good as there is at creating a market when there isn't one. Yeah. And I don't think there's a market. I think the Phillies, like you said before, the worry is the Phillies are bidding against themselves. Well, Rosenthal came out today and said that an agent said that to him. It's Philly bidding versus Philly. Yeah. Which I don't, I'm fine overpaying for him. Mm -hmm. I don't want to turn into $100 million more. Right. Like, you don't want to just overpay because you have the money. it's $400 million instead of three fifty. million. It's fine. All right. If it's five hundred million <laughs> instead of four hundred, like, what, what happened here? Yeah, <laughs> How did this it's happen? ridiculous. So, it, what's weird right now, James? What's the weirdest part about what's going on in in Philly's land with these two guys who are like James? This is the biggest week of maybe my life. Like th- this is <laughs> this is the winter meetings of of with with Harper and Machado. Mine too, but it, it, for a different reason. I'm still in the biggest week right. of my life. <laughs> yes, yes. You have a child, and my baseball team. Maybe really screwed if they miss out on one of these guys. So, which is more important? Where are your priorities? Is it with the pod or is it with the kid? Okay. Um, I'm a little disappointed you didn't name her like Jackie or Jackie yeah. or Harper or Manny. There's something there. You could you could have took one for the team, but whatever. Um, could I? You think? Um, the one the most interesting thing I think right now is that Salisbury keeps coming out and saying that Machado's the target. And Machado's the guy, and the Phillies are that's their guy they've liked for a long time. And if you're reading in between the lines, it seems like from what Salisbury has has gathered, they want Machado at third, Segura at short, Brantley in left, and Miller in the bullpen. And like Jay Happ, basically. Like that's what I think has been laid out to Jim Salisbury. But if you look at every single national guy, it's like Harper, Harper, Harper. Mm-hmm. All they want is Harper. I just I'm very curious to see. Who's right? Who's right? Yeah. Because I trust Salisbury with my life. Like if Jim Salisbury said, "Jack, uh, you're going to make a million dollars next year," I would say, "Thank you, Jim. I, I guarantee I will." Because he's that. I trust him that much. Mm-hmm. But I also think Ken Rosenthal's good at his job. I think John Heyman sucks. But Heyman, yeah, Heyman's a joke. But everyone. But it's just, it's just interesting the tug of war between Machado's the guy or Harper's definitely yeah, the guy. I, it, and I don't know who I don't know who is being lied to by the well, Phillies. That's, that- that's what it comes down yes. to, right? I mean, that's what it comes down to. And the reason I think that, and I don't, I agree with you. I think Salisbury is as good as it gets. And for the Phillies, certainly the go-to guy, the godfather of the beat, in my opinion. But 
I do think that Salisbury is getting his information directly from the Phillies. I think that the national guys are getting their information from the Phillies, from agents, agent, yeah. from this guy, from that guy, from other agents, from all kinds of different spots. So I'm more oh. willing to believe those national guys in those spots. And when you really look at it, and whether it's baseball or football or basketball or whatever, I mean, how often do the local guys break the biggest stories? Never. Yeah, but Salisbury's done Never. it. Never. I know he has. M- I know most. he has, but for, but it is it is for every hundred big stories, it's a national guy ninety nine times on it. And, and yeah. I just think that that's the 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 better track to believe in for that reason and for the amount of information that they're gathering. But and again, like you said, it also could be hey. Jim Salisbury is a guy who's reported stuff in the past, has been right about what he is. We can use Jim. We can make, you know, get Jim to put out there that it's Machado and that maybe takes Harper's price down a little bit or makes them think that we want Machado more or whatever. There's so many different little factors in this, and that's why it's so hard to believe anything you hear at this time of year, Jack. Yeah, I know. And uh and Salisbury just came out and and reported that the Phillies and Team Boris are working out a time to meet here in Vegas. Um, Phillies maintain interest in Zach Britton and Bryce Harper, though at the moment seem to be more on Machado than Harper. So again, he's saying that doubling the, down. He's doubling down, but he again, uh, uh, Salisbury is the only one, and he's the only one that keeps saying Machado, the lone voice in the wilderness. And listen, if he's right. <laughs> Salisbury's going to be walking on water. Yeah, well, it'll be it'll be a great call by him. And, and look, again, he could be right. I just I feel like the Harper again, and I know the the Bob Nightingale came out three weeks ago, whatever it was, a month ago, and said, "Bank on it, take it to the bank, Bryce Harper, the Phillies," and. I still believe that report. Like, I do. I think that everything yeah. that we've heard since is smoke, is Boris trying to create a market that isn't there necessarily, or at least a level of market that isn't there. And I, I just think that ultimately, I think the Phillies are going to get their guy. My prediction right now, it is December 10th. I think the Phillies will still sign Bryce Harper. That, that's been my belief from the beginning. I'm sticking to it. And again, I'm, I'm just not getting swayed by a lot of these reports. And Look, I could be wrong. Salisbury could be right. But right now, I still believe it's Harper. All right. Uh, do you want to get into other things that might happen this week? Yeah. Um, so uh, another guy they've been linked to a lot, and I know they've offered a contract to, is Michael Brantley. Um, and Ooh, if, look and at you. They've offered a contract already. Yeah, that came out a couple weeks Did ago. it? I missed that. Yeah, so they offered him a contract. Um, and Brantley is a guy, he batted over 300 last year, mm-hmm. 360 OBP. Only had 17 homers, but you'd think that was He's good. not a really a power guy. Not a anyway. power guy, but again, doesn't strike out. Um, if you need him to play first base, which they probably won't because Hoskins is there, um, and you, they did everything yeah, in their power to get that, Hoskins I think Reese is back first to first base. base. Yeah. Um, Brantley, I love the player. And I think he's a beautiful baseball player, but 32 years old, major injury concerns. Like major, we're talking like microfracture, like serious knee issues. There was, there was concern he never play again. Exactly. And um, unlike Grady Sizemore, another f- failed Indians outfielder. Which is a shame. He was a great oh, player. So Grady Sizemore. Him and him and Ellsbury, are my two guys. That yeah, like, I I loved. I thought Grady Sizemore was going to be a, a superstar, and he would have been. Yeah. Um, so Brantley offered a contract, 32 next year, three years. Like, are you comfortable giving that guy three years? No, no. And it, it would. It's gonna. It's gonna be four. I would guess. He should just go to an AL team and be a DH. Yeah, I agree so with you. What's, what's the most interesting thing that I can think of um, between offering Brantley, behind offering Hat, behind getting these older guys, is it feels like the Phillies think their window to compete is like right away, mm-hmm. which is interesting because if you look at their actual young talent, I mean Hoskins is here. 
Yeah, and that's about it. Oh, and Kingery. You think? Right. We don't know if he's actually here. He's here. He's physically is he, playing. Is he here? They have to decide what they want to do with capital H. They have to decide what they want to do with Franco. They have to decide yep. what they want to do with Cesar. And it seems like they can't move Cesar for anything. Mm-hmm. And at this point, James, like, I would take a bullpen piece for Cesar. Me too. Like, I just, I don't, I don't need him here next year. I'd rather just have Kingery not be the super utility guy and just put him in second base. Just and put just him in second. Let him go do his thing. I think that's his upside. Like his I upside agree. is that of being a second baseman. So and jerking him around all season again. Well, even though it wasn't all season because he played shortstop for most of the season, but it was a brand new position coming off of second base, which. I just, I don't. Uh, <laughs> just Mike Gaskin was making faces in the window. Of course he was. Yeah. Um, I just <laughs> I totally it, threw you off though. Well, yeah, I, I breaking news. Jack's like, what's happening behind me right now? I was in a roll. I just, I, uh, I, I'm worried that um, they're they're trying to open up their window and they're just gonna start paying for a bunch of older guys who aren't gonna be here in three years or good players. Look, years. and I think it's a fair fair worry, especially with the. You know, where we thought this organization was and where they were heading based on. And then you start to say, all right, does that mean they're going to just trade all the younger guys for pieces? What are they going to do? Are they, you know, do they still care about building up the farm system? It's a, it, look, it's interesting because I do think that there's something to John Middleton saying, all right, boys, let's go. And maybe Clentac not having been quite as ready to go and kind of being forced to go. Because that's what the owner says and that's what they do. And I'm kind of torn on that. But ultimately, I think where this team is at, they have enough talent here now. And if they can add these pieces supplementally, I mean, they're they're automatically a legit contender. So I'm okay with that. I'm okay with getting the Phillies back to contention. But I do yeah. think it raises some long-term questions for sure. Like, I'd rather, I'd rather make trades for younger pieces that can be here for the next four years. Then give Michael Brantley a three-year deal. He'll I 100 agree with you. And like I like Zach, I like Jay Happ, and I think Jay Happ would be a nice four-five starter. Um, but they've been relying on him to be their number two next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and same thing if if they trade for if they trade for Madison Bumgarner. I mean, Madison Bumgarner is one year left on his deal, and then you're signing him for five more years after that. I would guess five, six, something so, like that. But that does feel more like a long-term piece than a one-year sure. rental. And I, I just I would just I would prefer them go after. Long-term pieces, guys who can uh, be here when the window is is really really open. These guys are starting to blossom. Rather than we don't know where Kingery is, Alfaro looks like a nice piece. Don't know what you're getting out of a double, um, Nick Williams, all these all these kind of things. It just feels like they're rushing into a a window of contention that might not really be open. It's a very fair point. I think. Look, if they go out and they sign one of the big-name guys, and they add a bullpen piece or two, and they add another starting pitcher. I mean, they're going to be a contender. Uh, I no, think I completely agree. But if you're telling me that you're signing Jay Happ to a two-year deal, like, what's the what's really the point? I mean, it's... Well, I think they're trying to contend to me. They're trying to make a World, like, yes! trying to make a World they're Series They're trying to contend year. right now. They're trying to play for the World Series next season, and I'm okay with that. I'm Look, okay with it, too. I would just prefer... Guys who are gonna, I think, can be here. Long I term. think, I think, what it is is they need a mix of both. I, I think that it's you make some long term decisions, but you're. It's also okay to bring in a guy like Hap. It's a question of if you're bringing in Hap and Brantley and X and Y, and these are all short term pieces, then it's more of an issue for me. But if you're kind of mixing the short term with the long term, I'm okay with that. Okay, it's fine. I'm, 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 I'm happy they're gonna do it. I'm just trying to think. I understand logically. Um, it, it does feel like Hap's gonna come down early this week. Uh, the hat contract, and it seems like the Yankees and Yankees Phillies are very involved still going back and forth. And I'm very cool with Jay Hap, and I like I think he's been one of the under the radar stud uh, left handed pitchers in the AL for the last 
four years? He's been really good. Stud is maybe uh, a step too far, but he's been a really nice pitcher. An underrated, under the radar, good pitcher. Sure, and you think about him coming back to the National League. There's a lot of upside with that move. So, uh, look, I'd be fine with J-Hap, too. Um, you know, Dallas Keuchel, another name they're pounding uh, on, which is, I look, I'm with you. I, I think he's fine. I think he'll age relatively well, soft-throwing lefty, you know. But uh, the money in years for a guy like Dallas Keuchel, I don't think I would want to be in on that as much. But it does seem like they're in on him. Yeah, it's 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 keeping me up at night. Why are they not trading for Corey Kluber? That's what I want. It's uh, oh, the Corey Kluber's on the table, and it's like, why, why am I not hearing the Phillies in on that? They're in on every other trade out there. Why have I not heard the Phillies attached to Corey Kluber? Explain that to me. Uh, maybe because <laughs> for some reason the Indians want to move a guy who's been a horse. Um, and he's on a cheap contract a, a for the next three years. Cy Young who's on a cheap contract. I, it makes no sense to me why the Indians want to move him, and I'm sure the call would be huge. huge. But if you're in on everybody else, I mean, why not go get Corey Kluber? Because I just don't think they want to give up six, though. I don't think they want to give up six, though, at all. I would for Corey Kluber. Just saying. 34? Three years of Kluber? Every year he's dominant. I mean, and also a late bloomer. Doesn't have as many Whoa. miles on his arm as all that. I'd do it for Kluber. Not a big game pitcher. Yeah, I mean, the, the World Series against the Cubs, he was awesome until that last start. That whole playoffs, he was amazing. No, I, I really, really like Kluber. He has the uh, he just has the ace look to him, the ace feel to him. He's a guy that you can trust for the next I, – I would trust him for the next three years, mm-hmm. 100%. I would too. Uh, it is it is interesting, and I just feel like – I feel like the same thing with Syndergaard. Like, why is the – why are the Mets getting rid of Syndergaard? It makes zero sense to me. But but Brody Van Wagen or Wagen, whatever his name, Wagen was his agent. And maybe he knows the arm history. He knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. He has the deep MRIs into Syndergaard's arm. Yeah. So maybe that's why that they're moving him now instead of a year from now and it's be possible. damaged goods. I want like why are you getting rid of Corey Kluber and re-signing Carlos Carrasco, who hasn't really stayed healthy for a whole season yeah. ever? And then they're looking to get rid of Bauer too. Well, it makes Bauer, no sense. And a lot Bauer's of pe- still got Arbier's left. A lot of people are, are tweeting me and and saying why aren't they going after Bauer? And believe me, I don't. I don't want to go after Trevor Bauer. And not that I don't think Trevor Bauer is not amazing. It's just that I was watching him on MLB Network, and he was saying how I want to sign a bunch of one-year deals, play on a bunch of different teams to spread what I've learned about pitching. And I want to spread all my knowledge that I've learned. That is the most Trevor Bauer answer. Dude, he is, so, he is unbelievable. Like, I was watching him, and I was like yelling at my computer. Like, he's just so frustrating. Yeah. But, I don't, but also, like, incredibly smart, incredibly fascinating. All yeah, that I, just, I just don't think you can commit to him being here for the next five if years. If he doesn't want to be here, If obviously. he just wants to move sure. around to a bunch of different teams, jump around and, and be that kind of guy. He's more of a... Uh, He's more of the end of the line, put you over the top guy you trade sure. for, rather than you try to build a rotation. I think that's fair. I mean, I think that's an interesting, I hadn't heard that interview, that it certainly sounds like Trevor Bauer. Sounds very Trevor <laughs> Which, Which leads me to Madison Bumgarner. Yes. And, My um, original I got, perfect I, offseason I understand. plan. Just you, I get you. But the, the Phillies need a legitimate number two next mm-hmm. year. Like, if you're going to compete, and you're going to tell me that you are um, you're trying to compete for a World Series right now, and you're investing in short term rather than the long term, um, you can't go into next year thinking that Arietta can be your number two. You can't go into next year thinking Pavetta is going to take that much of a leap to get to a reliable number two. Velasquez, no. Eflin, no. So um, they needed some kind of number two. And if you look at the market right now, Kluber, obviously. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kluber's a, an ace. I mean, Kluber's your one. I mean, 1A. Yes. One, one a Him and Nola would be tr- tremendous. Yes. Great. Um, Madison Bumgarner outside of Kluber, and I don't think Bauer's a viable long-term option. 
uh, is the best guy on the market. Yep. And, and would cost significantly less than Kluber, only one year left on his deal, all that stuff. Yes. And, and hasn't been as good as Kluber last Hasn't been years. as good as Kluber. Now, a lot of it comes from the fluke injuries. Like the, the, the dirt bike incident happened. He, he didn't look like a great pitcher um, with the dirt bike stuff. Um, came back, uh, velocity was 91 the season before last. Comes back to spring training last year and is sitting 93 to 95. And everything's back. He's able to get inside to righties. And when I was watching his starts last year, he was in, in September where he had an ERA of like 5-2-3. Broke his hand is where it right. was out. Whit Merrifield broke his hand and whatever. In September of last year, he couldn't get inside to righties. And the 91 was just leaking out over his side of the plate. And it feels like he couldn't finish. Like he couldn't finish inside. He didn't trust his stuff enough. And that is part of the philosophy of, of pitching is when you don't trust yourself, you don't trust your ability to get inside – it messes with you mentally, and I think he lost his arm slot a little bit. Um, he, he didn't throw his four-seamer as much, got too much in the cutter, all that fun stuff. So there's been a lot of people saying, like, I don't want Madison Bumgarner. I got no interest in Madison Bumgarner. And I just think it's, one, I think it's ridiculous to to completely write off a guy who's been one of the best pitchers in the sport for the last seven years mm-hmm. and has won a ton of big games. And, and nice. uh, Hey, look, I think regardless of the last two seasons, if I had to pick one pitcher in Major League Baseball to pitch a game for me, it would be Madison Bumgarner. Right, and, and it would. a lot of people are comparing uh, him to Arietta. The difference is, is that Arietta went from 97 and learning how to pitch at 97 to 93, 91, whatever. Also a pitcher who relies on velocity more. I mean, Bumgarner needs it, but Bumgarner has more deception to his delivery to what he does than Arietta does. Right, and Bumgarner is, is, has very loose mechanics. The ball comes out of his hand very easily, um, and he he doesn't put a lot of wear and tear on his arm. And even though the injuries were was a broken hand. And, Freak injuries. And they weren't arm-related, yep. which is which is great for arm health. Um, his numbers align exactly with John Lester at age 29, at CC Zabathia at age 29, all the way down to the to strikeouts per nine, which is at 7.5. All those guys at age 29 – 7.5 strikeouts per nine. I think he's going to age gracefully into his mid-30s. I do too. I have no problem giving up Medina in a deal for him. Um, I don't know what else you'd have to give up. I think Medina would be the headliner, maybe he a major be. league piece, like a Franco, uh, maybe a Dubal. I would do that deal in a second. I know you would. Um, Just saying. No, I know. There's, some, there, there's, there's a way to make it happen where you don't have to give up six, though you don't have to pay too much. But Agree. for one year of Bumgarner and then – I'm good giving him like a Cliff Lee deal. Five years, 120? Agree. I'll give him five years, 120. I agree. Because for as much as people say he's got a lot of miles in that arm, when you're talking about when you're talking about aces and you're talking about horses and talk about guys who throw a lot of innings, I would rather bank on a guy who knows how to get his body ready for 200-plus innings rather than bank on a guy like Patrick Corbin who just jumped to 200 innings this year from like 150. Yeah. Like it, it matters to a, a, a guy who's who knows how to get his body ready for that rather than Kind of Corbin just all of a sudden I'm going to throw 222 innings yeah. this year from 170-ish. So while the miles is one thing, there's also a spin to that saying he knows how to do it. He knows how to get his body ready. And I just trust that Bumgarner is one of those guys that knows how to get his body ready. He's going to – he's gonna if I can fi- – if he can – he's one guy I think can figure out how to pitch at 91. I, if he I has totally to, agree with if you. If he has to pitch at 91, I think he'll figure it out. Um, uh, we're going to get more into Bumgarner with – Kevin Franson coming up here in a little bit. Can't wait. It's gonna be fun. Um, he's he's known Madison Bumgarner since he was 18. So that's a long time. It's a long time. How about that? Um, so I I just think there's been so much negativity around Bumgarner. I am I am very much in the camp of go get the guy, make him your number two. And I I, I have had I have had visions in my sleep 
uh, Cole's Distance Bank Park, and Bumgarner through six with Joe Buck's voice saying, Bumgarner through six. I'm not lying to you. <laughs> nice that you've had those. How come you couldn't add those versions when I was laying out my perfect offseason plan? And I said trade for Madison Bumgartner, and I got ridiculed. It's the past, though, Jack. I don't know what you want me we to do. We move forward. I agree. I think he's going to age really well as a pitcher, change his speeds, all that type of stuff. But um, all right, what else, Jack? Because we got friends in coming up. I got to go see my daughter. Um, so what else do you want to get into before I get out of here? Uh, hold on. I, I did write down some notes. Oh, I love notes. So I was very excited. Look at Jack. Jack, um, Jack, I can't tell you people how much he cares about this podcast. Yeah. It's all he talks about. It's, it's about. like his only thing. Um, I kind of feel bad for him. Um, okay. So, <laughs> so uh, I know you got to go. So last thing, just general baseball-wise, what yes. do you think about the, the report of no shi- uh, uh, getting rid of shifts? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I think that they're – look, you know I've I've long said that I put the shifts on offense's inability to hit the ball where the shifts aren't far more than I do on defenses doing them in the first place. Look, I'm all for trying to make the game more interesting, more fun, whatever. I just think that this is a – I think it's weak, to be honest. Like, I have no problem – like, if they want to do it, fine. Like, I'm not going to raise the uh, the biggest stink ever because I do think it will help the game, but – I think it's I think it's weak. I think teams should should adjust. Learn how to hit the ball to the opposite field. Learn how to get on base when teams are shifting against you. That that's my philosophy. So uh, there's an article today on the Athletic, and it said that if they did this, it would basically get one more hit every five games. That sounds about right. Which is like it's just it's like great, good call. I'd rather raise the strike zone above the knee. Yes, there there are other things they can do rather than banning the shift. So before you get out of here, ooh, um, Gabe Kapler spoke today. And I just want you to, who do you you think, who do you think he likes more? Okay. Judged off these two quotes. Okay. I think Manny has done a tremendous job in his career of establishing a reputation of being one of the top young players in baseball. And I think he's in an incredible position to be able to choose from a wide variety of suitors at this point. And I think wherever he goes, somebody's going to be get, going to get an incredible baseball player. That's him on Manny Machado. Very pat. This is him on Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper does a number of things well, but one of the things I found most inter- most fascinating about him last year was even through the times of his struggles, he still worked an incredible at bat. So it wasn't like rolling over to the second baseman on the first pitch when he was struggling, although that happened from time to time. But when he struggled, he still put together a quality at bat. He still worked the pitcher. He still made the opposition uncomfortable. And sometimes he'd end that at bat with a walk which I think there's a ton of value in that. Now, when he's going good, he's one of the most difficult players to get out in the game, and I love the way he plays. I think there's so much to like about I think there's so much to like about what Bryce Harper brings to the table, his play on the field, and then also what he brings to a clubhouse environment. I mean, one answer is like, yeah, I've heard Manny's a good player. Let me tell you about Bryce. Let me tell you about okay. my friend Bryce. Let me tell you about this guy Listen, who I love. Um, uh, I mean, come on. Like, if you just want to step back from all the BS that you hear and all that and just like... Listen to what Gabe just said when asked about both players. I mean, that I feel even more strongly the Phillies are signing Bryce Harper. Yeah, I, and I wonder if Gabe's all in on Harper and Clem Dex more in on Machado. Ooh, that's interesting too. A little maybe, maybe it's possible. Maybe Machado. No, I, I mean, he's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, he's all right. Yeah, he's I, good. I, I he's fine. Yeah. People say he's good, so that's something. Let me tell you about this guy. I watched Bryce Harper. He's so good. I'll tell you about everything I saw with my eyes. I loved it. Right. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. Bryce that's Harper. Good, that's good work by you. Bryce Harper and Gabe Kapler are going to be running the Rocky Steps together. Oh, uh, the Bryce-y. first day he signs here. Bryce. It's going to be tremendous. Um, yeah. So, it, listen, I, I have had many visions this week. 
I had many. I had a vision about interviewing Nick, Nick Pavetta on this podcast. Ooh. That's one thing that I've dreamt of. Well, let's make but that the happen. main thing I've dreamt of. I feel of, like that. That's very doable. The main thing I've dreamt of this entire week has just been Bumgarner Nola in a in a in a, in a rally towel filled Citizens Bank Park in a playoff series. So that's where I'm at. I love it. That's where I'm at. All right, Kevin Franzen's coming up. Kevin Franzen's coming up. Uh, also, final thought, I guess. Listen, the holidays are coming up. It's a, it's a very oh yeah I like this very, I like where you're going here. <laughs> it's a it's a giving time. It's giving. And it's time to give. Most people that listen to podcasts these days are you know eighteen to forty. Not old. Let's not say that. old. Younger younger crew. I'm sure there are some some wonderful older people listening. Yeah, and we we appreciate fathers you. like myself. Right, fathers like you, an old person. Um, <laughs> I am. I'm freaking old, man. Uh, I'm like barely inside that window you just gave. I know, so. which is sad. It makes me sad. You're, yeah. uh, you're one day you're gonna not be here anymore. <laughs> oh God, Jesus! Let's come on. <laughs> the holidays and giving you time. I mean, dying is great. Uh, uh, we want for the holiday season to give the gift. Of high hopes, and obviously, we can't do that. I mean, we can't go into your phones and and say download and subscribe the High Hopes podcast. But you, the High Hopes listener out there, mm-hmm. I know the the generation of people that like baseball are generally older. You probably have relatives that love baseball. Guess what? They're starting to get into iPhones. They're starting to get into <laughs> technology. Go into your relatives, your uncles. It's about the cheapest gift you can give. It's too. a free. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. Go into the podcast app and say. Pops, Unk, Gramps, you're gonna love this podcast. Great Gramps, maybe. Who They're gonna. Knows? They they talk about baseball the right way. Um, they <laughs> talk about baseball the right way, not play the game the right way. It's <laughs> it's it's the podcasting yeah, game. Yeah, it's good. Uh, and give give the gift of high hopes. I love this season. idea. I love this idea. Dad, like me, if you're out there, Grandpa, all those people, just, you'll love it. Just we need you, the sons. The potential fathers as well, yes, but who the millennials. Have older fathers, please help us out. Just, just spread the word. Spread the word of high hopes. Just high hopes. Season. I mean, it's just pot. We're talking about high hopes. Here. I feel like every time we we do an episode of high hopes, it's always in the holiday spirit. It's we're exactly both very right. excited to talk about the Phillies no, at all it's, times. It's nonstop. It's a Jack is excited to text me about it. 30 times a day. I left you messages yesterday. You did. Jack Jack <laughs> called me, said, don't answer. I want to leave you a message, and then followed up with a text saying, let me know when you listen to my messages. Yes. And it was about this. Yes, it was. So <laughs> uh, give the gift of high hopes, and James Seltzer, go talk to your daughter that you did not name Bryce. I didn't. And we will talk <laughs> I t- to you. I thought about it. We will. <laughs> listen, we're going to, we are planning we'll out. We'll be here. We're going to grind this work. work. I will figure it out. Zoe will understand. It's an important time. And if not, I don't know. She needs to figure it out. It's the most important time of the season. <laughs> and I need her to be on board. All right. Kevin Franzen coming up. Share the gift of high hopes with uh, with your older relatives because uh, we're fun and, and we'll, we'll make them enjoy it. And they want to like baseball, too. Yeah. We like baseball. Boom. Well, we are honored to, to have a, a current broadcaster of the Phillies, a, uh, a newly minted Phillies broadcaster, Kevin Franson. I can't believe that uh, when you came on the podcast last year that it would turn into this. It's a big, it's a big moment for High Hopes. I mean, you were High Hopes endorsed early last year. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I don't know if it's so much an honor that I'm on, but uh, yeah. Honor. The uh, the listeners get to get a chance to hear my my crap for a little bit, so it's good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, look, it, it's all opinion, right? It's all opinion based. 
Well, that's what we do here at, at yeah. High Hopes. At so, High Hopes, we give people high-hoped opinions. Yeah, yeah, the highest of high hopes. I get it. I get it. I get it. So, Kev, how are yep. we? Uh, how are we feeling about uh, about this Phillies offseason so far? You, uh, I know you. You really like the Gene Segura trade. Yes. You, uh, you, you like getting giving up JP Crawford. Who, listen, JP, I still think has a, a high ceiling, but does he? Well. I think I think there's obviously talent there. I mean, I, I think the bat was just a little bit too slow to really work at the major league level. Uh, hands were just a little bit too slow. His swing is a little too loopy. And in the minor leagues, that <laughs> where where is that? <laughs> what? I mean, you, you you described it perfect, and that's why I'm just saying, like, where where does it you know come around? Well, you hope that he works hard and and realizes that his swing's loopy. And I know he did that drill at the beginning of last year with Maley to kind of speed up his hands. And then as the season went along, he kind of got away from that that and the the loopy swing was back. Um, listen, he's 24. I don't want to completely write off the guy's career, but no. but if I have to give him up to to get a guy like Gene Segura, it, it feels like a, a no brainer for me. Absolutely, I, I 100% agree. And look. JB Crawford is a great kid. It's not like you're you're bashing a kid because you're trading him. No, he's an asset that they use to get a guy that's gonna. It made them already a better ball club. Already, just putting him in that lineup makes them a better ball club. Why? He's a grinder and he's a really good hitter. You know, to to go with that, but he's a grinder. And when you're a grinder at the plate, that could resonate through the entire lineup. Could is the big big thing right there. Um, we know they like the the pitches per plate appearance. Um, I agree with that to an extent. If those if those at bats don't end in in just absolute um, a grinding of a bat or a hard hit ball, then what is it? You know, you're you're seeing a couple pitches go by that may, might be you know right there in in the you know middle cut of the the plate just to see a pitch. So a guy like Gene Segura is aggressive, uh, but he's aggressive in the strike zone. Doesn't. There, there's certain people that you could see that doesn't phase when they're getting a two-strike situation, um, and he's one of those guys. So with that, at the plate, it, it's a huge – for me, it's a huge upgrade over J.P. Crawford. You're losing out Carlos Santana, who, look, didn't produce what everyone wanted him to produce. 110 walks, you know, 24 homers. That, that's hard to – that's going to be hard to uh, – substitute for right yeah, I mean, he and, he walked more than he struck out last year that's hard to a, just replace it's an incredible thing to do uh, especially in today's game exactly i mean you look at his woba what was it like a 334 and i think that that to me was a uh, a big thing for him um and and defensively he, he was sneaky over there he's yeah. a good first baseman yeah he, he had one again. he had one week last year where he made four errors and yep. it kind of threw out his and they're all throws yeah, they're so, all throws. And and Reese Hoskins, I love Reese Hoskins. I'm yep. I'm glad he's back at first base. Yes. But if we think he's going to be like a cat over there or like Santana was over there, it's just not going to be the case. Absolutely, I agree with that, hundred uh, percent. Look, I, that, that's the one thing I just don't want to make sure is that you, you don't. Carlos Santana was good. I mean, it, he was a he was a lightning rod for so many Phillies fans, right? I mean, oh my god, so it was a things. meltdown. It, but it, at the same time, you got to step back and look at the whole thing, the big picture. That dude was pretty good. Uh, for the entire season, he had a brutal April. But I, I've I, personally witnessing it and, and playing and and you know witnessing while playing, I've never seen anyone rob more in my life in that first that first month than a Carlos Santana. With that being said, this one move for Gene Segura, I I, I think absolutely has the ripple effect through the entire team, which makes them better. And, and 
bringing Reese. Like, look, you know what the, the worst part about playing left field is? The, the run out there every time. The run. <laughs> Seriously. Now you're looking at Citizens Bank Park, and Reese, all he's going to do is walk to first base. That's it. Yeah. Save his legs. That's a big thing. You want your slugger to have his legs all year. I, you, People think I'm joking on that. I think it's a huge deal because you're you're moving around, but it's like little movements at first base. You get tired, but you don't. You play left field. You're standing around. You, you got to sprint into the gap. Yeah, it's like it's the start and stop. It's like the uh, the left fielder is like playing uh, wide receiver every I don't know five or six plays. Yeah, right. You, you're going out for a pass now. Okay, now you're gonna block. Now you're gonna be out for a couple plays. Now you're back in. Now you, you know, at first base, you're always in the action. So for me. Getting Reese locked in like that, uh, I, I think is great. I saw him obviously a, a year ago um, when he was going, you know, between left and, and first base. He's got good actions at first, so I'm not really nervous about that. Um, adding Gene at, at shortstop makes them better. It's just going to be what happens with Scott Kingery, what happens with Cesar, what happens with Michael. Like it, it, it's so uh, there, there, there's so many question marks because you don't know, you know, which route they're going to go because this one move made a lot of things be able to happen. Yeah. Do you think, now you just mentioned how left field with Hoskins, do you think it's going to lead to even more offensive production at first base? Do you think that's a thing? Uh, I mean, who knows? Because for me, I can tell you, playing one position and one position that you're comfortable at uh, can absolutely make your mind go to, you know, at ease. You're not worried about, you know, we talked about this last year with Scott Kingery, right? Yep. When he was moving around so much. And, and, and people don't want to use an excuse, it's true. You don't want to be the negative on the defensive side. You don't want to embarrass yourself. You don't want to, you know, be a – so your mind, a lot of your mind goes to that defensive purpose, right? You don't you, – your your extra work, all that stuff, and everything at the plate, It it I'm not saying doesn't matter, but it doesn't hold the same as, as trying to not embarrass yourself at a position you've never played. And so with that being said – if you play a spot that you're comfortable at and now you don't feel like you have to do the added work there to, to get caught up and you can get into normal routines and, and not worry about, okay, where do my, you know, it, it just becomes, it's second nature place. Um, I, I do think that your offensive production could go up. Look, Reese was unbelievable in spurts last year, right? Yeah. And then he had those moments. And I feel like in those moments too, we're, we're kind of with the, the outfield struggles at times. And you wonder, you take that little pressure off him. Oh my gosh, you talk about it in a bat. That that dude puts up. I, I I don't know about you. Even in his struggles, I didn't. I haven't seen him give him away in a bat. No, I mean there was a couple times last year where he's just so frustrated he was trying to force it, and I think yeah. that led. But that's to not it. giving away in a bat. No, I mean even when even when he's struggling, I will say he he works the pitchers and he just. You know, sometimes hitters don't make contact. That's why yep. hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do in sports. Um, but it's, it's one of those things. He would see – how many times would he see, like, eight pitches in that bat? Yeah. Then punch out. You're going, oh, ha, ha, all right. It makes sense. I, I would say that Reese is one of those guys that you watch him, and you can actually see him – Start to figure it out in mid oh, yeah. at bat, and you could see, you could feel a Reese Hoskins breakout <laughs> coming, which is which you, is fun to watch. You know, when he does like that kind of like the hammer thing every once in a while with his with his bat, like he'll have it on his shoulder and he'll kind of just like fl- fling it out a little bit. Yep. Uh, in between pitches, I feel like when you see that go like a little bit, like almost uh, like uh, like a quicker one, you're going, oh, that's his tell. I got him. 
you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And if you can get him back, if you can get him just to be consistent for 162 and not uh, go into to two, three week long swoons, I mean, you're getting a yeah. you're getting a Paul Goldschmidt like guy. For sure, for sure. I mean, people forget he's only 25. Like Reese Hoskins, dude, it's it's unbelievable. Well, because he acts he acts older. He has he has an old soul to him. Yeah. Right. And when you talk to him, and, and he's he's more mature than uh, myself and uh, you know Fransky included uh, combined. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, definitely with L.A. I mean, we 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 all know the maturity level with with L.A. So uh, he's more mature than all of us. It's weird. But I, I just want – I want – like, is that natural? Yes. And it, sometimes you're just like, dude, I wish you could just be a kid at times. <laughs> <laughs> but that's good for the face of a franchise. Oh, my though. God, yes. Yeah, it just – he, he is perfect for it. He is. Like, there's, I've yet to find a negative on, on Reese Hoskins because everyone's like, oh, his left field sucks. And you're like, no, I just see Reese Hoskins out there. Just it, I see him doing his early work and doing all that stuff, and he cares. Where I'm like, I can't throw a negative on it. Like I'm just sorry. I, the guy works his butt off. He cares. He doesn't take a day for being grant for, for for granted. I mean, look, he's a Northern California kid. What else can I expect? You know what I mean? So <laughs> that's where all the studs are from. Yeah. Well, not. Nah, I mean, you know, ish. All the Pennsylvania you, we know all know is the quarterback. We we all get it. The greatest ever in Joe Montana comes from there. So anyway, uh, Dan Marino. Yeah, that's well, Western you go, PA. Bradshaw. Though. You can go all this stuff. I mean, we know Pennsylvania quarterback although right? southeastern pa baseball it's pretty good i mean they produce me look where i am now well, you suck <laughs> i do suck well yeah. i was good for for what i was in my age group you know yeah there you go yeah there i, I played division two it's oh. good enough yeah, most yeah. most people can't say that no no I still think i no. get you out but there's probably no chance. Not. <laughs> there's uh no so gene segura um yep. a lot of people talk about how he's like a uh, a bad clubhouse guy do you think that's true uh no, I don't think so. I, I. The reason why people think that is why because he's been traded to so many teams. Yeah. Uh, I I think from talking to to some buddies that have played with them and I've played against them, like the guy. He doesn't play with a lot of emotion. You know, there's times where you'll see it, but it, so that's very much like Carlos Santana, right? It just even Keel goes out and does his job. There's not a lot of, um, I, I don't know, like showing up early early to, to go do things he knows exactly what he needs to do so he goes into the clubhouse when he needs to and gets out and goes to do bp and then goes in and you know what i mean there's not a lot of uh there i wash for him so certain people that uh that works certain people it doesn't and you know it just depends on who you're who you're with gene sakura is a damn good baseball player where would he you makes your team better where would you bat him uh you know i i honestly have no idea in the because there's so much more to happen, right? There, there's so much more that's going to happen this offseason. So, you know, he's a he's a great two hole hitter. Um, he kind of feels you, like a two hole hitter. I mean, if you lead him off, you're fine. I mean, he, like let's say they get to a point where it's you know uh, Scott and him. It, you can go either one being one or two in the lineup. I'm fine with that because I think regular bats from for, from Scott Kingery playing second base would be great. Now, if it's Cesar, Cesar is showed that at times last year that he is one of the best leadoff hitters in the game, seeing pitches, walking, uh, stealing a couple of bases, having some pop. Uh, you know, so they, they got a lot of different things. I would hit him in the two-hole. Uh, I want your guys in front to uh, be able to see 
pitches before, a guy that's going to battle with two strikes, foul pitches off, and, and he's going to do that. Yeah, and two-hole, uh, hopefully, you know, he has a higher chance of, of getting on base, moving the, the leadoff hitter along if he gets on base. Yeah. Um, and then you have, hopefully, Harper or Machado, Hoskins behind them. Uh, it's like it's kind of like adding Placido Polanco to the two-hole, like back in 2011. You know, yeah. you have a, a guy like that who can hit for a high average. The OVP's not great, but he moves guys along. And, and that dude squared up every ball. He really did. <laughs> he really did. And I see, I see the same kind of thing from Segura. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Segura is not gonna. He's not gonna hit 25 homers, but he's gonna hit 50. Uh, really? You know, uh, it, it, dude. Okay. How so, bad? Is, hold on. How bad is it to hit in Safeco? Like, is Safeco hard to oh, hit? Oh, it's tough. Yeah. It's tough. It, you become more of a doubles type of guy uh, there, um, but I'm not saying Arizona is Citizens Bank, but you it's can close. relate the two, right? There's a lot of relation between there. The one year in Arizona, and he had 41 doubles and I want to say 20 homers. Uh, he hit over. He hit close to 320, I think. So, yeah, he can. He could put up 20, 25. I do believe that because at Citizens Bank, the way he hits, it's not a lot of stuff to center. I mean, he will hit stuff to center, but, I mean, his power is to the gap yeah, he, or to he, left or, or if he went down the right field line. We've seen the ball travel at, at Citizens Bank to right. I mean, it, so being that a, a spray hitter but with the ability to elevate and, and hit the ball in the gap, you know, get the extra bases, it's, to me, it's, this, this is a perfect move. Do you like the um, the approach the Phillies are kind of taking in, in players that are evaluating this offseason? I mean, uh, Segura last year was the fourth hardest guy to strike out in baseball um, yep. at like 10-something, 0.7% uh, of at-bats. Another guy they have interest in is Michael Brantley, who was the second hardest guy to strike out in baseball last Love year. Love Michael Brantley. Dude, I mean, if they add Segura and Brantley, you're adding two, 300 hitters. Um, and the That other- resonates. That There's that ripple effect, dude. You, you can go – you know, one after the other and see how, you know, the, the line keeps on moving. You don't really have that regression in anything and guys pick up, uh, you know, I'm not, cause we saw it with Paul Goldschmidt too. We've seen it all along. He struck out a lot early on this year. Yeah. And then, and then you could see the contact going up. He still struck out a lot for himself this year, but he takes chances and those chances that he would take, you could sense that, like, okay, at two strikes, I'm a, I have a lot more confidence now because there's guys in front of me. As they got healthier, the, the Diamondbacks, that he started producing more, right? Because there was that ripple effect. He didn't have to carry everything. Well, I think that's the same thing for Reese. Yeah. Reese could do that. Yep. He doesn't have to do everything. The moment he feels like he has to do everything, that's when everything goes. So if he, you know, a guy like Segura, a guy like Brantley, adding into that lineup, if that were the case. Uh, makes Reese a better hitter, even though he's a good hitter. It's a better hitter because of that two-strike approach. He doesn't have to feel like I got to go. You know, I can maybe shorten up. Remember at the early in the year, you and I were talking about it over just through the line uh, when we were calling games in Atlanta. He had like two or three hits down the right field line, and with two strikes, he had one. He lined out in Tampa to right field with two strikes, and I told him the next day, I'm like, dude. You are that right there will lock you in, and he went off on that, and, and not because of what I said at all. It, it I, think I think it's because of what no, you said. No, it's not. It had, but I'm saying like w- what I was telling him was that he stayed on that pitch, and he, I just ab- it, there was something about it that, that, that just like absolutely just was mind blowing to me, and he did it. He took it over to Atlanta, and then he went to the next series. And I'm going, oh my god, 
All right. It, it has nothing to do with like, oh, I got to just like put the ball in play. No, hey. No, he had an approach where he wasn't giving away right field. Um, and, and I feel like if they get those type of hitters, right, that could drive the baseball. But with two strikes, they take a little bit out, but they don't give up much. That's good. I don't want guys striking out. More guys strike out. That, that whole phenomenon to me, the more stri- guys strike out, it, it just makes me more and more frustrated. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the strikeouts are great for a pitcher, but if you're aesthetically pleasing-wise, it's not great. And if you're if you're looking to build a lineup, when I was when I was watching the Dodgers last year, and when I was watching the Yankees in the playoffs, I was kind of I was trying to get in the mode of watching the Phillies in the same kind of scenario because they well, strike out a ton, right? And I was watching the Phillies last year, and it it seemed like a mini version of the Dodgers and Yankees. And when the Dodgers and Yankees got to the playoffs, and yes, I know the Dodgers made the World Series, but that for me was more of the NL was weaker and and whatnot. For me, when it gets to the playoffs, it's easier to get out a lineup full of guys trying to do the launch angle thing too much because then you can you can fit 98 up in the zone all day long and they, and they can't catch up to it and it's not consistent enough. During the regular season, it's perfectly fine to have guys just want to hit home runs the whole time because of, most often than not, home runs will lead to wins in the regular season. But when things get nitty-gritty in the postseason, you see, you see teams like the Red Sox, yep. Dodgers, Indians, even the Rays for a lot of last year, a lot of it had to do with they were they were moving guys along and and kind of playing baseball the traditional way. And the fact that the Phillies are, are it seems like they're changing their offensive uh, philosophy a little bit here and not be, not being okay with strikeouts, I think is important for me because I think I think the game is changing again right in front of our eyes. Yeah, and that's I mean baseball cyclical, right? Everything's going to come back to to something. And for me. Yeah, you're going to take chances at times. There, there needs to be chances taken. You're going to strike out. I wish I would have done that a lot more in my career where I took chances instead of just putting the ball in play. Um, I, I have always believed, and, and I go back to like my 14 uh, playoff experience with, with, with the Nationals against the Giants. We were a team that dominated throughout the year, and but we were terrible at getting guys over, getting guys in. Uh, you know, runner second and third, one out, whatever, just at least getting something in there. Everyone was trying to get the, you know, the three-run home run or, or drive in both guys instead of just getting that one. Yeah. I feel like we got beat at the game of baseball in that playoff series because the Giants were a team that did that throughout the year. That's what they were known to do. Uh, you know, lead off double, get a guy over, get a guy in. And you know what? It doesn't always have to be that way. But if you work on it and you're good at it during the regular season, for sure it's going to happen in the postseason because you have practiced that, because you have been like that throughout the year. Now, if you're a team that's like, oh, we're just going to homer, and if we strike out, we strike out, whatever, when you get to the postseason, that adjustment isn't going to be made right there. Not at all. Not going to happen. Yeah. and So I- you have, you had, what, six guys? I want to say six guys had over 100 strikeouts last year Yeah, uh, from the offense. Sure. Uh, they had one guy in in your boy in Altair uh, that had 91. <laughs> that's um, a lot for a guy that barely played. Yeah, and Andrew Knapp had 75. That's not good. That's not good. And and the incredible thing, the guy to me that was ridiculous, not even with two strikes, but not striking out was was Franco. And you're going all oh, the free swinger, all this stuff like. That dude actually had 22 bombs, and he only struck out 62 times. You would have thought that he would have had the high number of, like, 155. He had the highest batting average on the team last year. Yep. <laughs> which and is insane. Which, well, is it? Well, it's just it, like. No, 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 but I'm saying is it? When you look at those numbers, 
138, 93, 150. You could say eight guys because you had I, 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 I Santana had 93. 138, 93, 155, 126, 150, 122, 111, and 62. Those are your 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 top eight guys that had at-bats last year. Right. Those are the strikeout numbers. Yeah. That's nuts. And I, I, I don't think that – I don't think that's a good philosophy for an offensive approach. And I, I just think – But you know what? What? It's, a, it, it's fine if there's an adjustment made, right? So now they've, they've – Gathered this data, they've you know seen it right there firsthand. What works, and they're making an for me, I which I love is they're making a huge adjustment. I think that's a great thing. Um, so many organizations, and we've we've seen it with the Dodgers, we've we've seen it with the Yankees, where they just continue to do the same thing, strike out a ton, and you know what I mean, and yeah. and, and go on. So there's no adjustments, and what happens? Losses end up happening. In the postseason, not yep. wins, but losses. The Astros, the Indians, um, the Red Sox—the hardest, you know, three of the four hardest teams to strike out in the game—they um, were there for a reason, and, and we saw it with the Red Sox at the end. Look, they were the best team all year from spring training on, but they held—they they held serve on everything. They were good at, at at every little thing. They were good at not striking out at the right times, right? I mean, it was just the the grinder approach at, at bat. Yeah, and it feels like the Phillies are kind of going that way, and I'm impressed that after one year they realize that. Listen, I think this is the way the game's going, Kev. Like I think, I think the game is going back towards uh, almost the traditional way of playing, and the, for the Phillies not to get completely locked in on the on the launch angle movement and all that stuff, I think was was a great um, a, a great sign. And, and next year, realistically, you could be looking at Kingery, Segura, Harper, Hoskins, Brantley as your as your top five. I mean. That, that's, that's a win. That's that's gonna that's a win. Moving a lot of guys on base. It's yeah. it, a, a bunch of hits. Like that's a good. Hitting's contagious, right? right? Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, hitting is contagious. And if you're not hitting the ball and putting it in play, how does hitting become contagious? And it, look, I'm not trying to say that you, you, they need to just be like just again, two strikes. Oh, got it. I'm gonna run down to first. All right, I didn't strike out. No, 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 no. They can still do damage. You yeah. can still do damage. The greatest player in my mind and many people's minds in the Bay Area uh, is Barry Bonds. Outside of the Bay Area, he's not. We get that. Uh, well, I mean, Harold Baines is in the Hall of Fame, and he's not. So we can have a <laughs> dude. Really, I, seriously, it, it, it took this long for Lee Smith to get in, which pisses me off. But he got in finally. I'm so pumped. Uh, anyway, I, I have a long story off air that we could talk about what he would do when he would celebrate. And this was in 2005 when I asked him this. But anyway, uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. Um, Bonds and two-strike approach. He choked up. And people think that choking up is, is such a uh, uh, a bad thing as far as like, oh, it's going to take away power. No, the dude choked up and still had the most insane power. Uh, you you get back control with choking up. And it quickens your hands. That's it. Does that mean that you, you, you take out swing? No. You just choked up. That's it. You can still take your same swing. Choke up, two strikes, give yourself a little bit more back control. That's not that hard. Got that it. is one of the biggest things that I I would say. Uh, Maley's done a great job with those hitters and in, in, in getting them different thinking, and, and, you know, for the most part. Um, I do think, though, personally, with two strikes, you, 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 you choke up just a little bit. Give me something. Give me a little change. Uh, Mikey did that. He was doing that with two strikes. 
Yeah, for a little bit there he was. So yeah, I, I'm just going to say that for me, that is a, a, a simple adjustment where you're not changing swing. You just say, hey, just give me a little choke. Do you think? Uh, do you think it kind of is going to take a year? Like, do you think last year was the more implementation of Maley's kind of system, and this year you expect guys to to really feel comfortable in it? And, and yeah, because get- there's no question of what's going on. Like, what are we going to be doing? Like, what 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 is his thought? Like, you know, and you know who he is. You've had a year with him. You you know who he is. That's yeah, a big thing. Yeah, because I was I I'm going to be honest. I was frustrated with a lot of of Maley's stuff last year. Um, it, no one really got that much better last year and there was a lot of the increased strikeouts but I don't want to completely write it off because I've, I've read a lot of stuff about May Lee and he's well regarded around the game and he helped build the the Astros offense and the Cubs offense and all that stuff so I don't want to completely write him off yeah one year doesn't one year doesn't do much so even for a hitting coach I mean it's it's a hitting coach like how much does a hitting coach do really uh more than anything he is there for a uh the, a vibe like you, you want a positive guy that's always up, has that energy that has you, has you thinking like you're King Kong walking out of the cage before you go into to a game. Yeah, uh, you know, for the most part, they're all they're psychologists, right? For the most part, yeah. Some people are psychiatrists. <laughs> <laughs> you're right, but 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 the but the fact of the matter is they they are all with the mental side. For me, if you know you're in the big leagues for a reason, you've gotten there for a reason. I think more than anything, his stuff needs to be implemented in the minor leagues. It sucks that all the, the, the great minor league hitting coaches are gone that I love more than anything in, in with the Philadelphia Phillies, and, and one being Sal Rendy, uh, who to me was a, one of the most phenomenal hitting coaches because he got your mind clear. He got your mind exactly how it's supposed to be at the plate. Thoughtless, right? Yeah. And, and so th- it's hard to see. You know, with, with that. But with that being said, the moment that everyone that comes up to the big leagues understands that this is how it's going to be done, like they have the whole same f- hitting philosophy all th- the way throughout, I think will make everything easier. Now, I mean, one, you can't say that they've gotten worse, truly, because the pitching on the other side in a year has gotten in, insane. Yeah. Right? In almost like a two year span, we're looking at. Well, like one of the biggest like progressions in, in, in pitchers, just in general with stuff, with velocity, with sliders, with the off-speed stuff. Break, you know. What I mean, it, it's unbelievable what we got going. Yeah, yeah. I, it's fair. I, I was just saying. Like, I, was I know mo- it's fair. I was mostly what I said there. Jim. I know. I was just mostly frustrated with Maley, but I, I I agree. But see that that's the thing though. Is it like he can't it, really do that much? I got you. He's not the one that's in the box. I know. No, I know. And, and, and so there, there's so many – and he had a guy like, let's say, a Scott Kingery, right, who's who's fighting himself more than anything. And, you know, Males isn't trying to do the physical stuff. He's trying to get his mind right. Yeah, no. So th- that's the stuff that, you know, I, I feel like more than anything the outside world doesn't understand because everyone wants to put a blame on everyone. We, all, we always get that, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter what sport. It doesn't matter even what business. There's always a blame. And so he was the easy one. For me, he had such a tough job in trying to make sure that you know some guys didn't fall off the edge on this whole thing. They yeah. didn't jump, he, and and you're in you know, it's it, it it's hard to explain without the, uh, um, I don't know. I, I guess I'm better in person on that one explaining <laughs> a, a hitting coach because there's so much like I, I'm like doing all these 
motions with my hands and you know all this thing. no I, I i understand what you're saying and i'm glad that they're i was just more worried that the the offensive approach was going to get played out of baseball and i just think that they've they've changed out this offseason so i'm willing i'm i'm fine i'm good with Maley. there's points last year where i did get a little frustrated but that's fine um kingery so next year like do you really want him being a, a super utility chris taylor kind of guy or would you rather him just be penciled in at second base and kind of move cesar for what you can get it's a tough one because you want we're seeing all around the game if you have a guy a Brock Holt a Chris Taylor um, a Ben Zobrist if you have a guy like that so beneficial to you yeah very valuable Um, so as an organization um, you would love to be able to to move Scott around but again if, if there was a year where I'm like if he could play just second base and you know, not worry about the defensive side and just go and hit and just have that success hitting throughout the entire season. Now we could start thinking about different roles, right? And that that's a big thing. You bring up a young guy and doing a lot of different things. Look, a, a kid's going to come in and say, I'll do anything to play. I'm in the big leagues. I, yeah. yeah, for yep. sure. I'll do this. I'll do that. But it, in hindsight, you, you have to, like, talk to the guy and understand that, all he's done for the most part of his life is play one spot. So uh, I would like to see him at second if they if they were to – because I love Cesar, so I'm a big uh, Cesar Hernandez fan. Uh, so if they were to move him, if that was the, the case, then I would love to see Scott at second base every day. Now, if they don't, I mean, he's so valuable to the team being able to play every spot. He just needs to, he just needs to have a bat in his hands. He needs to hit. He needs to be consistent in getting that. So – um, there's a lot of different scenarios. Cesar's made himself a good amount of money because he's a damn good player. Yeah, I, and, he's, he's, and a, it, he's a valuable player. I just so, I, he's I, so much. See, and at times, I would love to see him be the one that moves around. Yeah, yeah, he it, is it, so it, athletic, dude. Unfortunately, it just feels like they kind of missed their window to trade him. And this year, this yeah, the, the second maybe. base market, the second the second base market Cesar's is just so. But see, that's the one thing I feel like that that. Not a lot of people understand about him is how athletic he is. I like. I really thought that he would have been moved out to center field for a long time, right? Yeah, there was that little period where he yeah. was trying it out in center. They field. were trying it out, and I was like, dude, they could make this because he could run. He's got great instincts, and you know, center field, you would love to see that. He's got a great arm. He could play shortstop. Uh, you know, so for me, he is so valuable to this team. Um, again, there is so. There was a lot of guys on that team that were very emotionless, right? Yeah. And a lot of position players that were like that. I want to see some more fire. I want to see some more, like, just, you know, you're not going to change guys. But I just if they bring in some guys, I want to see some fire. I want to see some love. I want to see some uh, outward emotion for, for from these guys. And it's not about riding the roller coaster on this whole thing. You they, want- need a, they need a Franzen. Yeah, absolutely. No, for sure. I mean, I could play still. I went, uh, you know, what, one for two in my alumni game. Hadn't picked up a bat in two years. Oh, look at that. Oh, yeah, dude, so good. Uh, I was sore for a week. But anyway, um, that's not the case. The the the, the case that I'm going to point out here is if if this team were exciting emotionally, right? It doesn't. You don't have to live and die on just screaming and yelling. Do there's just like that right that that emotion of love that you have for the game that's out there every single day, fans are coming. Fans are going to be at that game. Yeah. But if you're if you're going to be playing emotionless baseball, uh, 
whether it's good or bad, it's hard to get behind. So that just one of those things that, that I hope they, they see um, as bringing in is a good thing. All right, so please explain to Philadelphia um, why they should be going after Madison Bumgarner. Uh, why should they be going after I just think he's... There's a lot of negativity when you bring up Madison Bumgarner well, in wanting to go after him. I all they you... see is stats. They see his, they, or they see this dip in velocity. They see, you know, you know, not the crazy strikeout numbers. Why should they bring over Madison Bumgarner? Because uh, you don't have Madison Bumgarner. You don't have one in your organization. You don't have a guy that has, uh, we're on a podcast, that has the balls of Madison Bumgarner, right? Right. Um, he has an attitude that he brings. He pitches with, with emotion. He pitches with, with him, snot rockets. Him versus Joe West. Yeah. Always that, great. Which I was the first baseman in that game. <laughs> little side note, I was kind of weirded out by the whole thing. Uh, he... He is the perfect guy, I've said all along. Look, is Aaron Nola an ace? Yes. Is Aaron Nola young? Absolutely. Do you want him starting game one? Yeah, I'm fine with it, for sure. But if you have a guy like Madison there, you take that little added pressure off of him, off of Aaron Nola, because you're like, we'll put that on Madison, right? Yep. Uh, And so for me, the preparation that he does, everything that he does to get ready – I think it would be huge. There needs to be, um, you know, a, a different type of leader in that clubhouse at times. And and for me, that, that Madison will bring that. Do you think he'll bring that? Uh, he, but to me, he's not like the energy kind of guy that you were just talking about. He's he's more of a hold accountable kind of kind of leader. He's a hold accountable, but when you see him pitch and there's a lot of like you know snapping back at the ball and doing that's emotion. That's some you know that, that that's something that you see that there's a passion behind what he's wanting to do. That he wants to be better, you know, or he, you know, he expects to do better when he's when he's out there. You could there, there's, there's a different ah man. Who would he be like more than anything? Like Lester? Yeah, yeah. I would I would say Lester is a good one. Yeah, they, I think he's gonna age a lot like Lester. Like uh, CC Lester, they all had very similar age twenty nine seasons. And Bumgarner, unfortunately, had the he had the ball that Whit Merrifield hit off him that bro- broke his hand. Yep. And, and he wasn't he wasn't healthy all year. Right. And people and, really want to know. It's not about not healthy. He just was not the same. He didn't have the same strength. So what I what I, what I want to ask you is is. So from spring training last year, you talk about this a lot. He was ninety three to ninety five and mm-hmm. looked like Madison Bumgarner, and people in the Giants organization and actually better than Madison Bumgarner, right? The people in the Giants organization were saying this guy's going to have a breakout season in age twenty nine. Yeah. Ball off the hand, comes back, he's throwing ninety one. Like what? What did you see when he came back versus what you saw in spring training? What it, something was so free and easy during spring training that was just you sat back and you're just laughing. You're like, ooh, this is going to be a rough one for the West because. It was so effortless, um, and when he came back, there was a lot of effort in trying to throw the 91, right? Yep. It was effortless 93, came back all effort 91. Uh, it, that, to me, he just he, he was tired of sitting around. He was uh, chomping at the bit. He was, you know, Dave Gresham, the, the trainer here in San Francisco, is amazing. Uh, but it, at, at some point he was just like, I, I can't handle this. Like he just, he's got to get out there, you know, and, and, uh, it wasn't going to hurt him, but it just wasn't, it definitely wasn't going to have the same stuff. Yeah. And it, I, when I was watching him just from my sort of untrained eye was, uh, he couldn't get into righties at the end of last year. He was 91. He didn't trust himself to get in. And 
major league hitters catch up to 91 over the middle of the plate. Like if you can't get in, it, yeah, it, there was no move. There was nothing going on. There was no movement, nothing. So yeah, it, he was he was struggling on that. Uh, right-handed hitters uh, were for the first time in in my watching Madison. I've known him since he's 18 years old. Uh, he is. He he gives you that 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 trepidation going into the batter's box. He didn't do that last year. No, and and it was because. A, his stuff was down. He just didn't look like it. And his, like, grunting and all that was actually grunting to try to get that extra, not grunting to try to get you off of it, right? Because some certain guys can do it just based on, oh, if I grunt right here, they might think it's uh, this, and it's not. Yeah, I mean, Jamie, Jamie Moyer was famous for that. He would throw, like, 82. Dude, he owned me. <laughs> he would jam me at, like, 80. Well, I get when you're used to sitting, when you're used to seeing, Dude, I guess, it's what, so 93? Weird, like, sit back, sit back, sit back. And, no, it's too late! Yeah, I, I would be very frustrated facing yeah. Jamie Moyer. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I, I just, listen, you played with him, you know him better than I do, but if I had to bet on a guy to figure out how to pitch at 91, if that's really where he's at right now, I, I think Madison Bumgarner's the guy that figures out how to pitch at 91. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he, dude, I'm telling you, he, part of the deal is why he was so far down last year was he was throwing more sinkers. He eliminated his four-seamer. And the four-seamer was what made him so great. Uh, yeah, because it was sneaky. He would because he would throw it from behind lefties. The way his arm angle is, he completely eliminated it. And you know, teams hit uh, what three hundred six on his sinker last year, and that's that's not good, you know. And when you're just becoming, he he almost just became a cutter guy. You can't just become a cutter guy. No, you can't. You can't. Yeah, especially um, with how he was throwing it, it just doesn't work. No. All right, last one before I let you get out of here. Um, Harper Machado. Harper. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you uh, you need a lefty in that lineup, and you can, like, for me, it, it just it makes sense. And what was, what was he like as a teammate? Was he a, a good I thought he was great. and He'd be great for the clubhouse, all that fun for, stuff. Yeah. He's, he's, he's your perfect guy for, for this situation, what they need. And uh, I could go on and on and on about him, but I, I think everyone knows I just think that he would be the right fit for this situation. Because of what he would do to that lineup. Yeah, I mean, if, if you add if you add Harper, you add Brantley, you add Segura, even if you added Pollock, right? And Pollock worries me just because the injury stuff, and Brantley okay. does as well. But um, Pollock, it just feels like every year it's something. The OBP isn't great. Um, I like Pollock a lot. I just if I he's a good baseball, he's a winning baseball player. He is. Him, I think there's him, a reason. Him, there's a reason why the Diamondbacks are good when he's healthy. Yeah, I mean, him and Brantley to me are just like just beautiful baseball players. Like, just so why don't base- you get both of them? Well, because we got a double in center field. Okay, just ask him. Just I'm just throwing it out there. If you get both of them, I mean, hey. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, we're gonna spend stupid money, so that's that could be one of it. When he said that, I loved it. I yeah, yeah, but it did kind of feel like it gave agents the uh, ability to put the Phillies in every loved single it. thing. And it and said, you know what it said to me? We're back. Hey, man, we're spending. I I hope so. I love it. I hope so. I hope he and I hope he backs it up. And it, honestly, the fact that he didn't give Patrick Corbin six years, one forty, was big for me. It, yep. it, it it quelled a lot of my fears because no doubt that contract, I I just don't think is going to age well at all. He had one great year. One great, great year. The other years were good. Yeah. They weren't great. And he had a major innings jump this year. That's what I, it, see, that's the biggest thing is that, like, a, a guy uh, – I mean, there, there's so many different things. I, I think giving contracts to pitchers is tough in general just because – For sure. 
there's 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 no you know right science you know based thing on this whole thing. It, it it's all luck. Yeah, all based on injury. Yeah, and if I had to if I had to pick one of these two to age better into their mid thirties, I'm picking Bumgarner over Corbin. And for me, that's the most important thing when you're going into this offseason. Um, because listen, I don't think they're going to win the World Series next year, but you hope that in within the next five years, they do have the ability to win a World Series. And you need to have guys who are going to be there and be around for that. I'm banking on Bumgarner instead of Corbin. That's why your podcast is badass. <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, You're the best. Kevin Franson, congrats on the job. I'm very excited. Dude, dude. I'm so pumped. Oh, man. I, I know I know Fransky's like, oh, God. He's that. Oh God. He's probably fine. No, he's awesome. He's awesome. I'm so, uh, I'm, I'm so fired up and, and just thankful for the opportunity because I, uh, I love baseball and I love the Phillies. So more than anything, it's going to be just fun just to talk baseball and, and, and Phillies all year. Yeah, and I was, I mean, selfishly, I was very excited that you got the job. I actually talked to you. That's why. I know. I know. So big moment for the iHost podcast, big moment for the friends and family, and even a bigger moment for the Philadelphia Phillies. Kevin, we will have you on again soon. Thanks as always for hopping on. And I'll talk All right, to you, brother. Talk to you soon. All right, man. That's going to do it for this episode of High Hopes. Shout out to Kevin Franson. Congratulations on the new gig for joining the program and officially endorsing High Hopes. Just kidding. He didn't do that. But in my mind, he did. Uh, James and I will be back, hopefully, with an emergency Bryce Harper or Manny Machado podcast. If not, we will be back to break down any kind of deal the Phillies make this week. Check out the feed. Download, subscribe. Um, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes at High Hopes Pod. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at High Hopes Pod. James at James Seltzer and me at Jack Fritz WIP. Uh, another fun episode. And again, spread, spread high hopes this holiday season. It's the least we can do. Thank you.